Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. These lines from William Cooper's hymn, Light Shining Out of Darkness, helps introduce us to one of the more fascinating 18th century poets and hymnists whose works spoke deeply to evangelicals and even people beyond. Cooper was born on the 26th of November in 1731 and died on the 25th of April in 1800. In many respects, Cooper was one of the greatest poets of his age, yet his life was one of tragedy, filled with depression and mental illness, and yet also the grace of Christ. Joining with me today is my colleague, Matthew Swain. Dr. Swain is the Associate Professor of Worship Ministries at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Spurgeon College, and as an avid music historian, his insight should help us shed light on the life of one of the more interesting figures in 18th century English evangelicalism. Welcome back to This Week in Church History, Dr. Swain. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So uh, a, f- a few weeks back, we were talking uh, a bit about John Newton, and we were talking about uh, hymns and hymn writing and the process of developing the only hymn, uh, hymnal and the impact that had uh, across evangelicalism in Britain. And a name kept coming up over and over again in, in our conversation, and that was the name of William Cooper. And I said, we need to do an episode on him. And so here we are, true to form, uh, with an episode devoted to uh, William Cooper. So talk to me about why people, our listeners, should know about William Cooper. What what were what some of the key things that uh, he produced that uh, that really were part of that shaping of uh, evangelical culture in Britain uh, in the 18th century. Sure. So William Cooper is a really fascinating person to study. <clears throat> Not as his life and his um, uh, his his life experience is is somewhat um, is, is somewhat uh, is a difficult journey to follow. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if we look at somebody like. John Newton, his life was just so um, blatantly straightforward. But but Cooper's life is a little more enigmatic um, to follow, but he is a person that we need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you've rightly pointed out that we um, our conversations on John Newton led us to this kind of side conversation on who is William Cooper. Um, so just to first to make the connection to help our listeners just remind who how that connection happened. Um, John Newton uh, partnered with William Cooper to write what we know as Only Hymns. Only Hymns was written and was published in 1779. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period of John Newton's life for about 15, 16 years um, that um, he landed in Olney, England, um, and through some mutual friends had gotten to know William Cooper. And so uh, he invited this family uh, who William Cooper was residing with um, to come and move to, uh, to Olney. And there, um, a partnership in ministry was forged, particularly a partnership in writing 
hymns. But I think it goes beyond that. Um, Newton knew uh, from the beginning of his time spending with uh, spent with William Cooper that that Cooper was uh, a person that was uh, that was shaded with dark and deep bouts of depression and melancholy. Mm. Um, you know, when you study the um, the writings on um, Cooper's condition, it's always it's always characterized as Cooper experienced a deep period of melancholy. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, some would go so far to say as um, so 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 far to say that he was mentally insane and he struggled with this entire life. But Newton um, was able to forge a deep and profound relationship with mm-hmm. um, with Cooper, and he invited him to come and go on um, church visits with parishioners and kind of draw Newton out of out of his introspective uh, self doubt and uh, these periods of of um, uh, your self-hatred, um, and he was able to help Newton look around him and see the needs of others. Um, and so that long story short, that is what sprung board or, or that, that was the platform for the two of them to partner in writing hymns together. Um, Newton uh, was able to complete his portion of the project. Um, unfortunately, Cooper was not. So, uh, right. so Newton wrote approximately close to 200 hymns, uh, whereas uh, as uh, Cooper only completed about 70. And it was hoped that he would be able to, to finish so many more hymns, but he just wasn't able to because he slipped back into a season of depression and was never able to finish. So when we think through uh, 18th and 19th century, especially in England and America, it is not uncommon for us to find individuals who talk about dealing with melancholy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most historians uh, would would look at this and, and say, okay, melancholy is at least some level or form of depression, mm-hmm. uh, as we would call it today. Uh, this is a despondency, uh, an unwillingness to engage in society and in life, a uh, loss of um, really any kind of desire to, to live. And so we could talk about Cooper having uh, fits of melancholy, uh, but his were particularly acute and mm-hmm. severe, so much so that he uh, attempted uh, to take his own life mm-hmm. multiple times mm-hmm. um, and ended up actually in uh, an asylum. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're going to find as we talk through uh, Cooper's story is the intersection of friends, mm-hmm. uh, Newton being one of those mm-hmm. key ones who some of his sweetest seasons of life were those in which friends were heavily invested in uh, his day-to-day life and bringing him uh, along mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to help him see a different side of life and a different side of the story. But his first uh, his first movement into uh, an asylum, though, was life-changing and life-altering for him. Why was that? Well, to back up just a, a bit to kind of help give some framework to his struggles, we have to understand that Newt, um, excuse me, Cooper, um, not long after he was born, by the age of six, was um, lost his mother, and that right. had a profound impact yeah. on his on his life. In fact, it pl- that that loss plagued him pretty much his entire life, um, uh, not having a mother. Um, he had a very strange relationship with his father. And so I think one could already begin to see kind of the breakdown in his life of 
the family mm-hmm. and the importance of, of the, the, the family unit, the need for consistency and having a, a mother and a father and having that love and nurture. Um, he was shipped off to boarding school right. uh, where he was horribly um, teased and bullied um, by one boy who was much older than himself, eventually was expelled. And so there were a lot of contributing factors where you can kind of see like the, the dark storm clouds, which he speaks of in his, uh, you know, in, in his poetry and his hymn writing, um, you know, these clouds that you, you dread, you see them coming there, the, the storm clouds were brewing in his life. Um, he, here's a grand piece of irony. Um, Cooper, his father was a rector in the church of England mm. and, um, but not evangelical. So mm. even from a from from an early age, Cooper, even though he was, he may have seen the things of the church, or may but he wasn't ex- exposed to the gospel. Right. So it wasn't until he eventually has a major breakdown, and and some of this has to do with not only just his early childhood, but it also has to do with an experience where he uh, fell in love with a young lady who was his cousin and had a longstanding relationship with her, and they were going to get married. And uh, his uncle called off the um, the engagement mm-hmm. very suddenly, um, and there's a lot of speculation as to why that why that actually happened. Was it because um, the the uncle cited that you know I can't have my daughter marrying her cousin? Um, but some people uh, speculate that perhaps um, uh, Theodora, uh, hit her father, had some insight that. There was something different about Cooper, right? Um, about his about his personality and about his some of his struggles, and perhaps he had had some some difficulty there. But the reason that um, that this particular um, fall into severe depression is important is that it landed him in um, in, in what was called an insanatorium um, mm-hmm. in St Albans. Um, but what's particularly important about it, especially, is that he fell under the care of a doctor uh, <laughs> who was extremely um, was a warm-hearted evangelical believer, mm. um, who was able to share the gospel with um, with William Cooper, and even uh, was able to uh, leave leave the leave the scriptures in uh, kind of precarious places where if you know. Uh, Cooper was walking around the the building. He would find the scriptures and pick it up and read it. Um, and it was there where um, Cooper picked up the scriptures after hearing it from the gospel. And by the way, he had other family members who were believers um, who had shared the gospel with him, but he never his eyes were never fully open to the gospel until he's here in this asylum. Um, he reads the story of Lazarus, John Lazarus being raised from the dead, yeah. John eleven, and then of course he goes over to Romans three. Uh, 25, where it's this whole idea of Christ's righteousness being imputed on us, and we're um, then he fully understood he fully understood forgiveness, and it was there that he experienced a um, you know a, re, a new birth essentially. Yeah. Um, you, you know, he testifies to the fact that he was he always wondered what it was like to be have sorrow over his sin, and he never fully understood that. Um, until this moment. Mm. And one of the reasons he was so plagued was that he did try to commit suicide. Um, this, this is what mm-hmm. led him up to um, him, his being um, you know, committed. And um, he was so burdened with guilt, he felt that he could never, ever be for, forgiven right. um, of, those, of those actions. And so he, 
it, just just so that our listeners are, are understand as well that um, usually individuals who would go into these uh, facilities um, uh, never really kind of came out. That mm-hmm. that was not a normative experience. If mm-hmm. you were committed to one of these uh, places, it it was not normally mm-hmm. the case that you would have um, you come out. You were kind of we don't know how to deal with you. We don't yeah. you're a danger to yourself to sure. others, and so. We're going to just kind of, this is a place for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that he uh, comes to Christ in that context, which in the midst of a bout of this severe depression, uh, and not only does he come to Christ, but his life is totally transformed mm-hmm. and he leaves and mm-hmm. uh, he heads out to uh, connect with um, uh, with a, a family that uh, then begins to kind of shepherd and, and take him under his wing that have a lot pretty much connection for the rest of his lifetime. That's right. So what's what's this part of his story? And this mm-hmm. is pre-Newton still, yeah. and yeah. Uh, there's a huge flourishing in his literary output at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. So um, I think one of the themes that we can see in his life is the need for fellowship and friendship. Cooper mm-hmm. um, was um, prone to um, bouts of isolation and, um, you know, pro- probably given his 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 melancholy state would have been content to be on his own. But he also, I think he recognized the value of good friends. And that started with, by the way, the doctor's name was Dr. Cotton. It was Dr. Cotton who actually invested in a very real and personal way uh, with Newton and allowed Newton to stay at the insanatorium for over a year. And he, um, I would assume, did discipling with uh, with Cooper yep. and invested in his in just forming a good friendship with him, um, and so I think that is where we begin to see the traces of uh, of the value of 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 having strong uh, Christian brothers and sisters who will invest in, um, in in relationship with us. We're not meant to walk by ourselves through through this world. Uh, so yes, he's radically transformed. Um, here at this uh, at this asylum, he leaves a different person and he goes and moves in with another ministry family. Um, and not long after that, he um, the gentleman who um, was in ministry uh, passed away. So he was left there with with this gentleman's um, wife and daughter, and he continued to live with them. And and by the way, I should back up and say that Cooper and this family moved to Olney. So mm-hmm. Cooper, for the rest of his life, was never by himself. Right. He relied and depended on, on on people to help be an, a source of encouragement to him. And of course, it, it's with uh, with John Newton, who is really in so many ways such a starkly different personality from Cooper. Yeah. You know, Cooper is uh, very inwardly focused. Um, you know, here comes John Newton on the scene. He'd been a sea captain. He'd been involved in the slave <laughs> trade. He cursed like a sailor because he was a sailor. I mean, you know, everything that, you know, he, he was a man's man. Here's William Cooper, who's uh, more refined in his sensibilities, inwardly focused. He is a gift for um, language. Um, you know, John Newton was not known for being um, eloquent in his speech. Right, right. Um, but I think in many ways the two were drawn to each other because they they saw um, they saw that their their friendship and their personalities could complement one another and be an encouragement to one another. Well, and it's even during this 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 time period that Cooper starts doing some work uh, relating to uh, some, some translation, some modernization mm-hmm. of 
uh, of prior texts that mm-hmm. that become the standard mm-hmm. for uh, his his understanding uh, of, of the Odyssey, the Iliad. Uh, he's right. trying to pull all of these together, so he's working on kind of both sides, uh, both in a in a spiritual framework, mm-hmm. but he's also working in uh, in, in the arts in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spends time with the Unwin family, who's uh, yes. the, the one that we mentioned earlier, that's that right. he, the widow and and her daughter. But then also he moves in with Newton at a, right. a certain time period as well. So um, the, all of this time period, while very productive, mm-hmm. it still is difficult for him. Yeah. And he still deeply struggles. Mm-hmm. And it costs, in some respects, the uh, the Newton family as well as the Unwin family uh, energy, time, yeah. effort to keep shepherding him, to That's keep right. him focused, to keep him going. Yeah. And ultimately, it still falls apart. What? How does that kind of all start falling apart and unraveling? Sure. Well, so you know, of course, Newton and Cooper have this wonderful relationship and ministry partnership um, in Olney. They write um, uh, the this hymnal together. Um, but eventually, Newton is called away mm-hmm. to London, where he um, essentially takes kind of a step up in um, in ministry positions. Only was a um, was a was a small country village where the people were essentially blue collar workers. They made lace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were not educated folk, um, and so. Um, those were the, the the types of people that they were ministering to, and I think um, Newton was very winsome in his ability to be able to minister to the average folk. Um, but eventually, Newton moved on in his ministry, um, and of course, God profoundly used his time in London to connect with individuals like William Wil- Wilberforce, and um, so great things are happening there. But um, but Cooper is still now in Olney. Um, in an area that's probably bleak at times. Yes. Um, I, I, I wonder if, and I think that he struggled with seasonal depression too, yes. when, uh, when, when it's gray. And I know here in Missouri, sometimes we're prone to the sun goes away for a season and it's just gray and cloudy. And, um, and I think he struggled with that, but first and foremost, he had lost a good friend. Mm. Um, and so that, um, begins to spiral him again, um, into another bout of depression, um, unfortunately. Yeah, during that time period is when he begins to even take some of the theology that he had so ground himself in mm-hmm. under the pastoral leadership of, uh, of Newton and and yet abuse that in a way, uh, if we want to even call it that, where he, he talks about his own uh, depravity and his mm-hmm. own uh, sinful heart that he still struggles with, mm-hmm. and he can't break free uh, of this idea. And it's almost as if it just keeps spiraling so much so that he convinces himself that regardless of what Christ had done for him, he still was going to hell, and he still was right. destined to eternal damnation. Right. Yeah, he he was convinced, really, I think for the majority of his life, that um, that grace was for everybody except for him, Yeah. Um, which is, is really sad. Um because he had claimed a, um, you know, he had he had he had claimed the gospel. He believed in God's grace, the amazing grace that Newton wrote of. Um, you know, we we have um, these beautiful lyrics from Cooper's own pen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I think that the stanza, the next stanza he talks about is so personal because I think he could relate with it. 
the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. Mm. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I think he, I, I think he was always clinging to this hope that, you know, that like the dying thief on the cross, there there could still be hope for him. Um, and uh, and a lot of scholars look at his writings and say, well, he spoke very inconsistently about his struggles. Um, you know, I'm not an expert. I just know that he struggled. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he had periods where he would um, come out of those struggles where where truth, where, where the reality of truth would, would bring him out, the reality is of the gospel, but then he would sink right back in, literally up to his dying breath, Yep. Um, un- unfortunately. And, and it seems to be that a lot of those um, massive depressive episodes for the remainder of his life usually were triggered by the death of a close friend. So mm, it's, yeah. it's as if he attached himself very closely mm-hmm to these friends who were yeah. so essential for him to That's be able right. to see and experience the reality of life and either due to separation uh, in life because of mm-hmm. distance or because of death, mm-hmm. uh, those episodes rocked his world yeah. and uh, brought him to a place where uh, it was it was very difficult for him. Mm-hmm. So when we think through uh, uh, sometimes lives of those who we would look to as um people that God used in incredible ways, we often don't think of uh, maybe they had sets of struggles mm. that uh, maybe even some of our listeners struggle with sure. of, uh, of depression or uh, concerns about uh, some deep-seated um, theological issues like where am I going to spend eternity? And those mm. types of questions plague the heart and the soul. And even maybe after settling some of those questions uh, that they, they still may be there. Now, he was involved as well, and, and I wanted to bring this in before mm-hmm. we kind of draw our, our time to a close in some of his, not only just his hymn writing, but mm-hmm. he also became very engaged in the abolition movement mm. and uh, wrote a, a, in support of mm-hmm. uh, the ending of slavery. He had a, a very famous poem called The Negro's Complaint that was yes. published in 1788 that actually Martin Luther King Jr. used to cite frequently mm-hmm. uh, during the civil rights movement uh, mm-hmm. as a way of trying to draw attention that this has been an ongoing issue and it needs to be settled. Mm. Um, and, and Cooper's own experience uh, in Britain allowed him to be able to to look at this after engaging with Newton, mm-hmm. after uh, observing what was in his own culture and being mm-hmm. able to say, this is wrong, this mm-hmm. is this is sinful. Um, and it's interesting when he when he starts off this this poem, forced from home and all its pleasures, Africa's coast I left forlorn, to increase a stranger's treasures or the raging billows born. Men from England bought and sold me, paid my price in paltry gold, but though theirs they have enrolled me, mines are never to be sold. Mm. Just the start of this understanding of uh, of the image of God in humanity, and as he pulls this all the way through. It's such yeah. a beautiful poem. If you mm. get a chance, listeners, to, to look it up, called The Negro's Complaint by uh, William Cooper. Uh, it just continues to resonate. So even the hymns that mm-hmm. we sing in our churches still today, um, poetry like this, all are so powerful, yet he's a man who struggles deeply. Yeah. yeah. Anything else that you want to help us understand about Cooper before we uh, end our time here? Well, I think he's a man we need to know. Um, I think there's something to be learned from his life, um, especially as it relates to struggles, struggles that, um, that we experience as Christians. When we become believers, we, you know, we tend to think all of our, all of our struggles are going to go away. Um, and for Cooper, they, they never did. Mm. Um, 
perhaps in the same way that Paul um, pled for the thorn in his flesh. I, I you know I don't know, but um, I think there's something to be um, to be said for uh, studying his life, and I think there's a lesson for the church. Um, mm. You know, in terms of how we ought to be investing in community and yeah. relationships with one another. And just as you said, with the life of Newton, as it relates to Cooper, that investing takes time. It yes. takes sacrifice. Um, it takes a willingness to put your own needs and desires and your selfish motives aside to, to, um, to pour into others. Um, and, and I think that that was, um, I, I think that's something for us to, to, um, to, to know and to learn from and to be encouraged by, um, you know, Cooper was not just a hymnist, but he was, as you mentioned earlier, he was well regarded as a poet mm-hmm. in England. One of the key romantic he, That's poets. right. I mean, he was, um, in many ways, he was responsible for changing the landscape of um, 19th century romantic poetry. And so um, so he, he was well known and well respected. He wasn't well known until he was in his 50s. Right. Um, and you're right. He, he was able to um, translate um, Homer's Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey from Latin uh, and Greek. He he studied the classics at an early age. So he was he was a, yeah. a bright mind. Um, here's what I think is really interesting: the the last stanza of of uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. Um, I think really really sp- speaks volumes of um, of Cooper's life. He he said, and this is coming from a man who was eloquent in his word. Mm-hmm. He said, when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. And I think that that was his prayer his whole life. I think that was his, yeah. you know, um, and, and, um, and, and he's singing of God's grace now. And I'm so yeah. thankful for that and for his life and for his legacy and his testimony. That's that's a great word and a good re- word for us, even to to remind us of, uh, of the encouragement that we have, uh, even towards the end uh, uh, of our even our own lives and the challenges that we face uh, on a regular basis. I'll end our time uh, t- together with uh, a poem, a hymn that uh, Cooper uh, wrote uh, called "Dear Lord, Accept uh, a Sinful Heart," uh, and this is how it goes: "Dear Lord, accept a sinful heart, which of itself complains and mourns with much and frequent smart." the evil it contains. How eager are my thoughts to roam in quest of what they love, but ah, when duty calls them home, how heavily they move. Oh, cleanse me in a Savior's blood. Transform me by its power. Oh, make me thy beloved abode and let me rove no more. With those words, we will end our time together. Thank you, Dr. Swain, for joining us for this week in church history. And listener, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thank you.